Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here today. So which is more important for individual believers in Jesus, a.k.a. Christians, and groups of believers in Jesus, a.k.a. churches? Is it orthodoxy, which is a fancy word for right teaching, or is it orthopraxy, another fancy word for right practice? Which matters more, that Christians and churches believe the right things or that Christians and churches do the right things? If we have to choose, which areas should get more attention, holding sound doctrine or pursuing godly living? Well, as we continue today in 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul addresses both orthodoxy, right teaching, And orthopraxy, right living. Paul's words mattered a great deal to Timothy, the young church leader he's writing to. Paul's words also mattered to the believers in Ephesus, the church that would also read this letter. And Paul's words ought to matter to Christians like us and churches like ours today. Paul teaches us in this passage that Christians and churches do not have to choose between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. In fact, we can't choose one over the other because they are inextricably linked together. As Zach said, you've got to have both wings to fly an airplane. Sound teaching and godly living are two sides of the same coin. You can't properly have one without the other. We'll learn how and why that's the case this morning. So open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. Feel free to follow along in the room or at home if you're live streaming or watching later in the week. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. I pray that... No matter what's happening in the world, no matter how different things look right now than they did six or seven months ago, I pray that our worship would still be honoring to you. I pray that even under adverse circumstances that we can still be encouraged and comforted and challenged and at times even convicted of what we need to be convicted of and be comforted with and be challenged by. Lord, thank you for your word and your spirit that go out every single Sunday morning. Thank you that your spirit is living and active, that your Holy Spirit works through your inspired word in our hearts as believers and even draws unbelievers to you as well. And thank you that we can call you our father because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. He is the perfect example of sound teaching and godly living. And it's because of his life and his death and resurrection that we are saved. And so, Lord, we thank you. We glorify Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, picking up in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, you'll notice there's kind of a weird breakdown in verse 2. It kind of splits up between paragraphs. We'll pick up in the second part of verse 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, 
He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So right off the bat, Paul directly connects sound teaching to godly living. Look again at the phrase he used in verse 3. That's the phrase that I want us to really focus on this morning. The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, sound doctrine, and the teaching that accords with godliness, godly living. Paul joins these two things together. In just those few words, he shows us that you cannot separate orthodoxy from orthopraxy. Believing all the right doctrines doesn't mean that we can get away with living lives contrary to those doctrines. And conversely, living a good and honorable and moral and some might even say godly life doesn't mean that what we believe doesn't matter. But how do sound teaching and godly living connect? Why do they connect? Let's start by examining them one at a time, and then we'll bring them together. So we've talked a lot about sound doctrine in the book of 1 Timothy. But what exactly is sound doctrine anyway? Well, sound doctrine is that that matches up with what Jesus himself said. Sound doctrine lines up with the words that Jesus passed down to and through his apostles. Paul, the author of this letter, was one of those apostles, although he did take an unconventional route to get there. So it's safe to say that if anybody knows what sound doctrine is and isn't, it's someone like Paul. Jesus himself gets at this idea of sound doctrine in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, he sends the apostles out into the world to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus tells the apostles to pass down the words that he has said. The book of Jude refers to sound doctrine as the faith, excuse me, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, the words of Jesus, the doctrines of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus passed down throughout the generations. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We read there. I am all out of sorts this morning. The mask has got me thrown off. 12, 13 weeks into this and yet still thrown off. Verse 1, 
Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Think about that. They received it. It was passed down to them in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, Paul delivered it to them, passed it down to them, as of first importance, what I also received. It was passed down to him, delivered to him. And then he continues, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. We would not know this gospel. We would not know this sound doctrine if it had not been passed down to the apostles. And if the apostles had not passed it down to people after them. And that generations and generations and generations of followers of Jesus also hadn't passed down these sound words. So what exactly is healthy, pure, uncorrupted doctrine? It's the correct words of Jesus. The correct words about Jesus. Passed down from Jesus to all who would believe in him. As Paul said in verse 3, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. At its most basic level, that's what sound doctrine is. However, as we've discussed throughout 1 Timothy, not every teacher of doctrine is as committed to the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ as Paul and Timothy are. There are false teachers in Ephesus who had arisen from within the church itself. And they're not teaching sound doctrine. Paul says that they are teaching a different doctrine. The word different in verse 3 is not as neutral or harmless as you might think. Sometimes we say that something different is good. Change is good. Well, in this case, different is not good. The word there carries the connotation of foreign or strange or even illicit. Like a virus, the doctrine these false teachers are spreading does not belong there. And it is hurting the host. To get an idea of what Paul really thinks about different doctrine, we can read his words in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. He tells the church there. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, a different doctrine, a different gospel, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In verse 4 of 1 Timothy 6, Paul condemns those who are passing down this different, unsound, unhealthy, impure doctrine as puffed up with conceit and understanding nothing. Think back to what Paul said in chapter 4 about these false teachers. He said they are devoted to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, whether they know it or not. 
He says they are insincere liars whose consciences are seared. These false teachers are bad actors. And their unwillingness to abandon their different doctrine and return to sound doctrine proves the point. C.S. Lewis is known for coining the phrase chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. And what Lewis was getting at is this. We often assume that something new is inherently better, of greater value, automatically more worthwhile than something that's old. We're tempted to believe that the new, the novel, the innovative, the different, is always more desirable than the old and the familiar. Now, of course, some things really are better than the old things that they replaced. For example, if I ever need an operation, I would highly prefer new methods of surgery and anesthesia compared to a Civil War-era bite stick and shot of whiskey. Sometimes new and different really is good and really is welcome. However, we shouldn't always assume that something new, something different, is better than something old and familiar. We shouldn't always assume that something shiny and cutting edge is better than something that's tried and true. And that is especially the case when it comes to Christian doctrine. When it comes to orthodoxy, right teaching, we should be weary of falling into something new and different. We should be skeptical of the revolutionary insight into Christian teaching that no one else has ever had before. We should think twice before we fall head over heels for the innovative interpretation that upends everything that came before it. We should tread lightly before we buy into the brilliant new discovery about Jesus' words that calls the sound doctrine we've been taught into question. Why? Because of the definition that we just gave. Sound doctrine is the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ that have been passed down to us. And while we as people may be very different than people were when those words were originally delivered. And while the world might be a very different place as well than it was back when Paul wrote 1 Timothy. The words themselves... The sound doctrines, the healthy teachings, those have not changed. Should we be open to new and different ways of communicating those sound words? Sure, of course. There's room for healthy creativity and innovation when it comes to how we can most effectively teach and share the truth about Jesus in our day and age. But the words themselves, the doctrines themselves, the teachings themselves, those do not change. Christians are not called to invent new and different teachings, new and different understandings of who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. We are called to believe, submit to, guard, and share the sound teachings that have already been passed down to us. 
So we've thought a little bit about sound doctrine, orthodoxy, that side of the coin. What about the other side? Sound living, orthopraxy. Well, Paul has lots to say about that as well. Maybe even more than he did about sound doctrine. In our passage today, Paul does not go deep into the weeds about the content of this different doctrine the false teachers were spreading. He covered that earlier in the book, chapter 1 and chapter 4. Instead, in the second half of verse 4, all the way to verse 6 in 1 Timothy 6, Paul focuses on the false teachers' lives. Specifically, Paul points out how these peddlers of unsound doctrine are also, and this is not a coincidence, living ungodly lives. And the ungodly lives that they live are just as condemning as the unsound doctrines that they teach. The example they set is just as bad as the words that they say. They cause quarrels with words which hurt the church's unity. Slander, dissension, unrest, division. They're the kind of people who like picking unnecessary fights. They're attracted to drama and controversy and inevitably drag the church into it with them. They're also the kind of people who use the church as a means of making themselves rich. Paul says they are never content with what they have. Think back to one of the qualifications for elders that Paul mentioned in chapter 3. That an elder must not be a lover of money. These false teachers, they can't get enough of it. They desire it. They long for it. And does a life like that match up with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you can be the judge. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He says to the religious leaders, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? How can you be devoted to orthodoxy, sound teaching, when you are not living orthopraxy? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Or look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Paul said the false teachers were lovers of money. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what's orthodoxy? It's believing and teaching the sound, healthy, pure words of Jesus and about Jesus that Jesus has passed down. And what's orthopraxy? 
It's the godliness that accords with those sound words of Jesus and about Jesus that Jesus has passed down. And if you want an example of what happens when you stray from one or both of those, you can take a look at the false teachers in Ephesus. They believe and teach a new and different doctrine than the one delivered once for all to the saints. And unsurprisingly, their lives do not match up with the words of Jesus at all. When it comes to orthodoxy and orthopraxy, the false teachers in Ephesus fail at both. And that exposes them for the frauds that they really are. So back to our original question. Which should matter more to Christians and churches? Orthodoxy or orthopraxy? Which is more important, believing and teaching the right things or practicing and living out the right things? Well, like we said earlier, there are two sides of the same coin, two wings on an airplane. When one falls by the wayside, the other is not far behind. Failing to believe sound doctrine will lead to an unsound life. And living an unsound life casts doubt on our belief in sound doctrine. There's a biblical word for someone who believes or teaches one thing and then proceeds to live out another. And that word is hypocrite. So Paul challenges Timothy. He challenges the believers in Ephesus. He challenges the Christians in this room. To pursue both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We're called to believe the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and about our Lord Jesus Christ that have been passed down to us. And we're also called to live in godly obedience, to live in humble submission to those words, not just knowing them in our heads. Of course, we cannot do this on our own. We can't do this by our own blood, sweat, tears, and strength of will. Try as we might, we will only prove to be hypocrites without God's grace and without God's help. And thankfully, God has provided that grace. God has provided that help that we sinners need. Christians are those made new by, indwelt by, empowered by the Holy Spirit to respond to the gospel in faith and live out the gospel in obedience. And when believers in Jesus, those who have been justified by his broken body and shed blood on the cross, those being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, when we take both sound teaching and sound living seriously, God is glorified. So may we not fall into the deceptive trap of separating what we believe in our heads from how we live every day. May we avoid two common errors, both in Paul's day and age and still around in ours. The first error is to think that as long as we believe and teach the right things, As long as we nod our heads in agreement with sound doctrine, 
or sign on the dotted line under our church's statement of faith or raise a hand and say a prayer at a revival, then it doesn't really matter how we live. The second error is to think that as long as we do all the right stuff, as long as we live moral and upstanding and admirable lives, walk little ladies across the street, give some money to charity, try to be honest, then it doesn't really matter what we believe, right? Wrong. Both of those errors are deadly to Christians and to churches. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we know and believe and teach the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may that teaching accord with and produce godliness within us and without us to the glory of the Father. As we close, one final passage that just came to mind. It seemed fitting for this Sunday morning. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words, even though they're tough to swallow, for me preaching them, for maybe the people sitting here as well. It's always challenging and it's always convicting to be reminded of the inconsistencies that we're sometimes tempted to show and do show with what we believe and how we live. Every single one of us can think of times that what we believe does not match up with what we live. And how we live calls into doubt what we think or say we believe. Every single one of us knows what it's like to be a hypocrite and to feel like a hypocrite. Every single one of us knows what it's like to be inconsistency when it comes to our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. And so, Lord, that's why we turn to you. We turn to your son, Jesus Christ, the one man who is not a hypocrite, has never been a hypocrite and never will be a hypocrite. The one man who believed everything true and good and right and beautiful about you because he is one with you. The one man who lived out everything that is true and good and beautiful and right because he is one with you. And it's because of Christ. It's because he is the qualified, sufficient Savior. It's because he lived and died and rose that hypocrites like us can be forgiven, can be restored into relationship with you, can know you. But Lord, I pray it wouldn't stop there. I pray that we wouldn't just 
believe these things. We wouldn't just know these things. We wouldn't just say these things. But that by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, that you would transform us. That as James says, we would have wisdom from above that results in a harvest of righteousness. I pray that knowing the truth about who you are and what you've done for us, having your Holy Spirit within us, I pray that would lead us and strengthen us and empower us to live godly lives. I pray that we wouldn't just be people who you've declared righteous, thanks to the cross, but that we would be people who actually live righteously by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, again, help us be sound. Help us have integrity in what we say and in what we do. And may it all ultimately be for your glory. We love you. We worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.